and welcome to worship. We're so glad you're here today. My name is Sheila and I'll be your host for this online worship experience. If this is your first time worshiping with us, we invite you to check in with us. Give us your name and an email address and this coming week, we will send you a gift card and the coffee is on us. We want you to know how much we appreciate your joining us here at Schweitzer Church. Today begins week seven of our sermon series on David. Pastor Spencer has a great message just ahead for us in a few moments. Speaking of the sermon, you'll find sermon discussion questions and more online at schweitzer.church next. And now here's Corey with our announcements. Hello, welcome to Schweitzer Church. I'm Corey Lucivo, Director of Connections. This month, we have many great opportunities for you to get involved here at Schweitzer. And speaking of, next Sunday, July 16th at 6 p.m., our modern worship team is hosting a night of worship. We hope you'll join us for this special evening of praise and prayer this summer. Our Schweitzer Kids team has some great family events happening this summer, including our Paint Pizza and Popsicles Night on Friday, July 21st at 6 p.m. in the gym. You guessed it, there will be paint, there will be pizza, and there will be popsicles. Sounds like a great time. We hope to see you there. Then on Friday, July 28th at dusk around 8 p.m., we'll have an outdoor movie night where we'll be watching the new Super Mario Bros. movie. Both opportunities are free and are perfect for inviting friends to Schweitzer. Be sure to sign up and learn more about our Schweitzer Kids events at schweitzer.church/kids. On the last Sunday of the month, on July 30th, we'll be having our annual river baptisms at Finley River Park in Ozark at 5 p.m. This will be a great evening of celebration for people getting baptized and a fun time together with a church-wide picnic and an ice cream truck. So bring a lawn chair and a cider dessert to share. And if you've been interested in getting baptized, talk to a pastor or one of our staff. We'd love to talk to you more and get you signed up. I have one more thing to share with you. You better just take a look. Well, that seems exciting, but all we know for sure is you better save the date for September 30th for a great event happening here in Springfield. Thanks again for being here today. Now, let's continue in worship. Thanks, Corey, for those great announcements. We invite you to join us for any or all of these great things that are happening at Schweitzer Church. You'll find more online at schweitzer.church next. If you're worshiping with us live today, we invite you to join in the chat. Say hello to your friends or give us your insights. 
And if you find yourself in the need of prayer, we have someone waiting for you right now in our prayer room. If you'll just click that button right now, we'll be right with you. Let's continue in worship. As we come to this time of prayer, I invite you to join me as we go to our Heavenly Father. Let's pray together. Holy God, we want to glorify you in this time together. We thank you for the joy of worshiping you, for the blessings of each day that you give to all of us. And Lord, we pray that as we worship together that we might soak in your message, your purpose, your your healing for each of our lives. 
God, we know that you have given us gifts to bless others with, and we pray that we might utilize those gifts to glorify you and to serve others. We wanna lay before you today the concerns that are on our hearts. In particular, we wanna pray for those that are hurting, those who are lonely, those who are ill, those who are facing difficult circumstances, God. We know that you're aware of their needs and we pray that you will wrap your arms around them, just shelter them under your wings. Lord, as we hear the sermon today, help us to soak in the thought of forgiveness. God, we know that you have created us to, to be kind to others and to give of ourselves, but sometimes we get so wrapped up in ourselves that we fail to glorify you with our actions and our words. God, help us not to hold a grudge, help us not to be angry, but to let go and to forgive and to know that the peace that you provide is all we need. Lord, as we continue to pray today, we wanna to pray that prayer that your son gave us, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we come to this time of offering, it's my joy to share with you about our media ministry here at Schweitzer Church. Our online media resources include the worship service you're watching right now. We produce this worship service every week. We also produce a podcast and we have two new classes about spiritual disciplines and how to read your Bible. And you can find all of these online media resources on the YouTube channel by just searching for Schweitzer Church. All of these online media resources are free for you to use to help you grow in your faith. This ministry and so many others are made possible because of your kindness and generosity. We thank you for supporting ministries through Schweitzer Church, and we want to remind you that you can give online at schweitzer.church/give. And now, here's Pastor Spencer with our sermon.
Well, friends, welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm so glad that you've joined us. We are continuing our series on King David. We started this Memorial Day weekend. We're going to the Labor Day weekend all summer long, diving deep into the story of David because there's just so much here. There's so much to learn from. Now, we're in a, a, a part of David's life uh, in the series where there's a lot more downs in David's life than there are ups. And uh, we, we're seeing this week after week after week. So for us, it's been about five weeks of David really struggling through this period of his life. Um, for David, it was about 20 years that he went through this. And, and we're spending our time here. We, we wanted to really make sure we, we draw this out because... There's something about the faithful life that sometimes is like this, that sometimes we find ourselves in, in periods of life where there are more downs than ups. And so even someone like David, you might think of David as, you know, some of this great person. He's a great king. He defeated Goliath. All these great things and great victories happened to him. But even he had periods of his life where there was lots and lots of struggle. And so that's what we're seeing here. Now, today, what we're going to see is what I believe, and you may disagree with me on this, but I believe is David at his very best. And, and this is not like a great victory that David has. It's just you see his character come through at a time that is just absolutely inspiring as we see this. Now, I say it's David at his best. I know that this could be debatable because, I mean, David did great things. We've got, you know, David killing Goliath, for instance, is David at his best. But this is him facing adversity, facing an enemy, and, and, and choosing to do the right thing. And this is what, what really shows up when we face adversity and why adversity matters and the seasons of our life matter where there's more downs and ups. And, and that's because when in times of adversity, this is really when our character starts to show up. Now, for a lot of Christians, a lot of people, we face um, these seasons of life where there's a lot of downs and, and we find ourselves pessimistic or despairing or maybe cynical. But, but as we look at David here, as he's facing this real challenge, I believe this is him at his, at his best, his most inspiring. And so let's get into this. We're going to look at two chapters today, 1 Samuel 24 and 1 Samuel 26. They're, they're two very similar things that take place with, with David and uh, with him and Saul. So let's look into this. 1 Samuel 24, starting verse 1. Here's how it goes. It says, After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of Angedi. So Saul took, listen to this, 3,000, 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David, one person. 3,000 and one person. So looked out for David and his men, there's just a few hundred. And they went to look for them near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself, which I'm just going to pause because that's hilarious. David and his men, it says, were far back in the cave. And the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Like what in the world? How, how hilarious is this? And not just hilarious, it's incredibly significant because in the Bible, robes are always very significant. Do you remember how in Genesis, Joseph, who's the son of Jacob, was given a special robe? And the special robe showed his prominence over his brothers. And of course, the special robe led to all kinds of other family dysfunctions along the way as well. Or I think about how later in the Bible, um, in, in the Kings, that uh, there's a story of Elijah draping his robe over his successor, Elisha. 
And uh, he does this in order to show that his authority was passing from Elijah to Elisha. It's this incredibly um, important moment in the life of these two prophets. Or I think about how a few weeks ago, uh, David and Jonathan, Jonathan gave David his robe, which was signifying that Jonathan was submitting to David's authority that God had placed on him. He could recognize that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord was, was with David, or, or another place, uh, we didn't read this in the series, but there's another place where uh, the prophet Samuel tears Saul's robe to show that, that the kingdom was going to be torn from Saul. And so here's David um, cutting his robe. Like this is not just a hilarious practical joke that David is playing. This is a symbolic action, a symbolic action of, of cutting away Saul's kingdom, a symbolic action of David's growing power and authority, a symbolic action of Saul's declining power and authority and Saul's vulnerability. Now, if you've been with us the last few weeks, one of the things that you've noticed is that Saul has had all the power and David has been vulnerable. But here now we have this exactly switched where Saul is now incredibly vulnerable, hilariously vulnerable, while David has all of the power. And so the question becomes, what is David going to do with this power? What is a man who is after God's own heart going to do with this power, especially this power over his enemies? And well, we know what Saul would do. We know that Saul would use his power for himself, that Saul would cut people out, that Saul would uh, try to get even with people, that Saul would take every advantage he could, even violence to get more power, that this is how Saul acts. And so if anyone is even hinting at disloyalty to Saul, that he's going to undercut them and he's going to be violent against them. He's going to use all of this power for himself. And, and, and the ironic thing is that we've seen in the series is that the more Saul tries to hold on to power, the more he loses it. So what's David going to do with his power? When given the, the opportunity to really harm his enemy, to end this violence, to end this unjust ruler and oppressive ruler, this man who is, is so unjust and so oppressive that just last week we read a story of how he murdered, massacred an entire village. What is David going to do with this power? Well, what we see is that David chooses a different route. Verse five, after cutting off the corner of his robe, says, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of Saul's robe because it's such a symbolic thing. So he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him for he is the anointed of the Lord, right? Saul is still king and David respects that. Now with these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went away. And as Saul leaves the cave, the chapter keeps going and says that David comes out and he confronts Saul and he holds up the corner of his robe and he confronts him to show what he could have done to Saul and his vulnerability. And Saul is shamed by this act of gracious generosity on David's part. And, and so Saul and David, it says, go their separate ways for a, for a different day. They don't fight that day. Now, we're going to skip chapter 25, which is an interesting story. You should go read it on your own. It's a story of, of uh, again, David choosing not to use his power to harm someone who harms him. But we're going to go to chapter 26, which is the last meeting between David 
and Saul. And a very similar thing happens to cha- in chapter 26. This happens in 24, where once again, Saul brings out his men, 3,000 men to come and find David and his few men who are following him. And, and David is smart and he watches them with scouts and he sees them camping in a, in a vulnerable position. And so David and one of his very best soldiers, his name is Abishai, sneak into camp one night. And this is what we read. So this is 1 Samuel 26, starting in verse 7. It says, so David and Abishai went to the army by night and there was Saul lying asleep in the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers, that is Saul's general, were lying around him. And Abishai said to David, today God has delivered your enemy to your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike him twice. I love the boldness. But David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, the Lord himself will strike him or his time will come and he will die. He will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jug that are near his head and let's go. So David took the spear and water jug near Saul's head and they left. No one saw or knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. They were all sleeping because the Lord had put them in a deep sleep. And again, the chapter goes on and David comes and he confronts Saul from another hillside, starts to yell at him. He shows him the spear and the water jug that he took from his side. Look what I could have done to you in your vulnerable position. But again, David chooses a different route. He's not playing the same game that Saul does. He doesn't choose to use his power to harm, to harm Saul. Now, this is a bit speculative, but can you imagine how tempting it must have been for David to take Saul out. And, and in both situations, there's such a temptation to, to do this. And of course, we wouldn't blame him for this, would we? I mean, his men certainly wouldn't. They were encouraging David to end the violence, end the war, just, uh, just to take him out. But David, he resists this temptation. He goes this different route and, and he's walking this different path. And, and I find that just to be absolutely amazing. It's absolutely amazing because that's not normal. When I look at, look at our world today, I mean, David's behavior is so incredibly countercultural. About six months or so ago, I read this really fascinating book. It's called Untrustworthy. The subtitle was The Knowledge Crisis, Breaking Our Brains, Polluting Our Politics, and Corrupting Christian Community. Sounds like a good summer read, right? A good beach read. Not, not really. But it was written by this author, uh, Bonnie Christian, and she raised this point in this book of, of something I have never really considered before, but she started to write about um, a great moral crisis that is facing American culture. Something that I really hadn't, I hadn't really thought about that much. And as she raised this, this, this point of this great moral crisis, she started to talk about this, this, this crisis in a way that this is, there's this thing that's happening in our culture that no one's talking about. No one's really acknowledging. Um, it's infiltrating churches and Christian communities as well. And it's this great moral crisis that we see across American culture. And it's this, this crisis of, um, vindictiveness. This great moral crisis of vindictiveness. And of course, we see this everywhere. We see this in national politics. We see this in uh, the various culture wars as they wage around our country. I mean, about 10 years ago or so, we started to hear this phrase that would be lifted up in various places to describe this vindictiveness as people started to talk about um, cancel culture. 
I mean, this is cancel culture is essentially public shaming. And we're going to, you know, publicly shame you if you cross the wrong line on our ever changing postmodern morality that, you know, just has lines that are always being changed. And if you cross one of those lines and you get publicly shamed, I mean, at the root of that is, is vindictiveness. And it's happening, of course, in our culture, but also happens to us personally. This vindictiveness is in the air that we breathe. I read just this week an article in the Atlantic about this new thing happening in, in friendships that's becoming kind of, kind of popular where, where it's becoming uh, popular to break up with your friends, usually because they have either let you down or they don't share your politics. They said something that was wrong. And, and this article in the Atlantic, surprising to me, was actually arguing that we should stop that kind of practice because that's not a healthy way of living with that kind of vindictiveness. Or in another place I read recently that one in four Americans, listen to this, one in four Americans, have a close family member that they are estranged from. Now, what causes that kind of estrangement? Well, there's all kinds of behavior that does, but certainly one of those behaviors is going to be vindictiveness. I mean, vindictiveness, it, it ruins marriages. It's the reason why siblings stop talking to each other. It, it's the reason why children sometimes drift from their parents and don't want anything to do with them anymore. It's this vindictiveness that is all over the, the culture that we, that we live in. And in our culture, it, it's become the air that we breathe, which, which was what makes David's response to Saul so absolutely amazing to me. Because here is this chance to be vindictive, to fight fire with fire, to get even, to, to harm the person who's harmed me. And what does David do as he walks this different path altogether? Why would he do that? Well, the amazing thing about David's story is we actually know the answer to that. I mean, I just love David's story because not only do we have the events of his life, we also have his prayer journal. In the Bible, it's the longest book of the Bible. It's the book of Psalms, and it's a collection of songs and prayers and poems written for various reasons in, in David and some other leaders' lives. And David actually wrote a psalm specifically about this occurrence of running into Saul in the cave. It's Psalm 57. Let's read it together. It's only 11 verses. And we'll start at the very beginning. Just in our Bibles, there's a description of the psalm. And here's what it reads. Um, it says this, Psalm 57, for the director of music, to the tune of Do Not Destroy, of David, that's the author, a miktam, which is a musical note. No one really knows what that means. And here's why he wrote this. When he had fled from Saul into the cave. So you're hiding in the cave because your enemy is after you, has all of the power, what is it that you write? Here's what David writes. Have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shout of your wings until the disaster has passed. Listen to that repetition. Have mercy on me, have mercy on me. I'll take refuge, I'll take refuge. This is a desperate situation. Verse two, I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. Not to God who lets me vindicate myself, but I, I cry out to God who vindicates me. He's the one who takes this action. Verse three, he sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I'm in the midst of lions. I'm forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path but they have fallen into it themselves. And that's really funny because he's talking about Saul in the cave, relieving himself. Um, he'd fallen into the pit themselves. Um, verse seven, anyways. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. 
Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awake in the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Such an incredible prayer to write while hiding out in the cave with the opportunity of revenge right in front of you. But David shows us with great clarity, why does he not take this path of revenge? Why does he not do this? Why does he not use his power to harm the person who's harmed him? Well, very simply, very bluntly, we see this very straightforward in this prayer. Why does he not do this? Well, it's because he trusts in the Lord. Let's unpack this a little bit more. Let's let's look at the same idea from a New Testament perspective. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. This is written by Paul. And uh, this is how it starts. This is verse one and two. Paul writes this. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Verse two, this is so important. He says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, there is a way of life, a way of living your life, that is just like the world. There's also a way of life, of living your life, that is the way of Jesus. And those two paths are different. So for the rest of chapter 12 in Romans, Paul is going to be teasing out these differences. And one of these differences that he gets to towards the end of this chapter is how it is that we treat our enemies. And so here's what he writes about how we treat our enemies. This is verse 14. He says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now let's think about this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those who oppose you, who mistreat you, who abuse you, who oppress you, who malign you and say all kinds of evil about you. Bless those who hate you. Who are you thinking about right now? Who is it that you find it easy to lose your temper with? Who is it that has, when you see them, you'd, you'd rather not have anything to do with them? Who, who is it who has wronged you and, and, and harmed you? This is the question. Bless, bless those who persecute you. Now, probably the reason you think of that person is because they've done something to harm you. They've sinned against you. And certainly that, that's not something we want to gloss over. We don't want to gloss over the wrong that that person has done to you, has said about you, has treated you. We don't want to gloss over the sin that they've committed against you. But the point of Romans 12 is not so much to talk about the sin that they've committed, but rather what is your response to it. So with David, it's not so much that we need to talk about Saul's sin, which is evident. I mean, in the story, we've seen it week after week after week as Saul is seeking to harm David. That's not the point. The point is, what is David's response to that sin? What is David's response to that? Now, we also need to point out that David's actions throughout his life, and especially here in the cave, also point to a um, incredible boundaries that David has an understanding of against his persecutor, Saul. Because David has demonstrated time and time again that he has set up some boundaries with Saul, that, that he knows Saul is dangerous. He knows Saul, if given the chance, would hurt David. Like he understands this. This is why David has no expectation that they're ever going to be best friends. But, the, but when given the chance to harm the person who harms him, what does David do? Well, he, 
he doesn't harm him. He doesn't take that chance. And so to the people who harm you, who sin against you, the question is, okay, so what do you do about that? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. That's verse 14. We keep reading here. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And then let's turn to verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. In other words, do not fight fire with fire. Do not spend your energy, your emotions, trying to get even to put people in their place. And then he keeps going. He says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Basic wisdom of life right here. Um, you can't control the other person. David cannot control Saul, but David can control David. And so as far as it depends on you, live at peace. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Now that word avenge um, is translated from, from a Greek word. and It doesn't mean to get even. It means to make right. The word is, is connected to the word for, for righteousness and, and justice. And so the idea here is that God is the one who makes things right, the wrong things right. But when, when we, um, what Paul teaches is that when we feel the need to take revenge into our own hands, to make things right in our own hands, when we put it in our own hands to make this right, that is vindictiveness. But when it's in God's hands to make wrong things right, well, that is righteousness and that is justice. So we keep reading here. This leads to verse 20. It says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And this is a quote from the Proverbs. And the way of wisdom is not to seek vengeance, but blessing, because vengeance will never actually change anything. It just keeps the, the evil in circulation. And this leads to the last verse. When you practice this, when you live like this, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, when you look at these teachings from the Bible, both David and Paul, you can see why this really matters. Because both David and Paul, there is a very dangerous thing that we see here um, that lurks at the root of our need for vengeance and vindictiveness. I don't know if you caught it or not, but there's something at the root that's just so dangerous that we see in both David and Paul. The great Bible scholar N.T. Wright, he um, writes this in a commentary to Romans 12 to describe this thing that's at the root. He says this, he says, God's people are loved by God and must not imagine themselves bereft of his care and hence needing to take matters into their own hands. Vindictiveness, revenge, cancel culture, fighting fire with fire, whatever it is you call it. Do you know what's at the root of that? It's a lack of trust in God. The, the, ultimately, ultimately, the need for revenge it really comes about because we don't trust God to take care of us. So if you feel the need to get even, to put someone in their place, to make someone hurt, to post that thing on Facebook, to troll that person on Twitter, to send that text in anger, to lose your temper and to yell at them. Do you know why you're doing that? It's because you don't trust God with the well-being of your life. You don't trust God with your hurt. You don't trust God with your feeling. You don't trust God with your future. You don't trust God with your relationships. That's where this comes from. You don't trust God enough to take care of you, to put your well-being in His hands, and instead what you're doing is you're taking these matters into your own hands. 
So let me be really, really clear here, really blunt here. Um, there is no room in the Christian life for revenge. And, and the reason for this is because when we were God's enemies, he made peace with us. He sent his own son. When we were enemies, Christ died for us. That's what the Bible teaches us. And if this is how God has treated us, how in the world could we ever, ever, ever seek revenge or live with bitterness and unforgiveness or continue uh, the, the anger and the resentment for others and, and to continue to live like this. Like th that math just doesn't work. Like if you're gonna be a person of the gospel, you just, you can't also be a person of revenge. And so, and so this temptation for revenge, it's so strong, it's in the culture all around us. And this is why in my opinion, this is David at his very best. Because the temptation for revenge, it is so strong, it is so real, it is something all of us feel. And at the heart of this, it's because we don't trust God with the whole of our life. May you, may I, may we live as David. Not seeking to take revenge, not seeking to harm the people who've harmed us, but rather to take this different path, this different route all together. Because we trust God the one who vindicates us. Let's pray together. So Father, as we uh, consider this, this action of David twice, where the person who has harmed him is right in front of him, easily able to be harmed again, Lord, I just, I just wanna pray, Lord, that we might become the kinds of people who live in the same way, that we don't have to take revenge on ourselves, we don't have to take the, the need for vindictiveness on ourselves, we can release this to you because all of our life, our whole life, we can place in your hands because you love us. We are not bereft of your care. You care about every single aspect of our life. And so Father, would you forgive us for the bitterness, the resentment, the anger, our tempers that get out of control, the, the ways that we cut people off who we don't agree with because we think that we're, we're causing some sort of, um, some sort of, uh, healing there, but we're not. Lord Jesus, would you help us instead to be people of the gospel who offer care and forgiveness and blessing even when harmed. And so for some of us, there are some very specific people, very specific people that cause us to seek vindictiveness and vengeance and revenge. And today we want to release them to you. Now this may be a practice we need to do over and over and over in our lives as we just come to you and ask you, Lord, would you help me overcome my anger for them, overcome my harm for them, that there might be healing in my life. And we do this because this is the way that God, Father, you have treated us. When we were your enemies, you sent your son to make peace with us. So for anyone who's with us today who doesn't know that peace of God, that forgiveness and healing that comes in knowing Jesus Christ, we offer a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sin? Would you lead my life? Would you help me to become the kind of person who doesn't conform to the world, but rather is being transformed by the power of the gospel. It's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray today. Amen. Thank you so much for being here with us today for worship. I wanna thank the team that made this service possible, and in particular, Pastor Spencer, for his powerful message. If you know someone who would benefit from this message, we invite you to like and share it on social media. Thank you so much for doing that. And now, I invite you back next week for week eight of our sermon series about King David. I hope you have a great week. Thanks for being here.
There is no fear, cause I believe. There is no doubt, cause I have seen your faithfulness. My fortress over and over. I have a strength found in your grace your faithfulness my fortress over and over make way through the waters walk me through the fire do what you are famous for what you are famous for shut the mouths of lions Bring dry bones to life and do what you are famous for, what you are famous for. I believe in you, God, I believe in you. Release your love inside of me, release your power. Spirit come and fall on us over and over. Oh, make way through the waters, walk me through the fire. Do what you are famous for, what you are famous for. Shut the mouths of lions, bring troubles to life and do what you are. You will never fail Your name is powerful Your word's unstoppable All things are possible In you God of exceedingly God of abundantly More than we ask or think Lord, you will never fail Your name is powerful Your word's unstoppable are possible in you. Make way through the waters, walk me through the fire, do what you are famous for, you are famous for. Shut the mouths of lions, bring troubles to life and do what you are famous for, what you are famous for. Fortress over and over.